This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we come to you now and we, Lord, uh, present ourselves to you as one's Lord who have been bought by the precious blood of your Son and who now, Lord, need instruction. So we pray that you would teach us as we come into your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, Matthew 26, 47. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the 12, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, or clubs, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Okay, so right now we're in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ has finished this great prayer, and having seen all that he was about to endure all the way to the cross, that's what he saw, and in that great prayer, he sealed his commitment to go all the way, to not turn back. When he said these words in verse 52, verse 52, thy will be done, thy will be done. And now it starts what what Christ has called out he said that this, this area, this time right now, which he's going to enter into, is what he called in Luke 22, 53, Luke 22, 53, he called that your hour and the power of darkness. Darkness is going to have its hour. Darkness is going to have its time. Darkness will now be allowed to raise its ugly head into this state of what's called the power of darkness. So the crowd comes, the crowd's here, 
They have a leader that's going in front of the crowd. It's Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples who knew everything about Christ. And with that knowledge, Judas has now decided to turn from light to darkness. He sold out Christ and he comes now to Jesus in verse 49, verse 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, hail master, and he kissed him. And this is the kiss that's going to turn to death. Judas has a kiss for Jesus Christ just like Joab had a kiss for Amasa. Amasa, in that whole history, is given to us in 2 Samuel 20, verse nine, 2 Samuel 20, verses nine and 10, where it says, Joab said to Amasa, art thou in good health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground and struck him not again, and he died. So Joab came to Amasa in a friendship with an apparent care, an apparent love. And Joab asked Amasa if he was in good help, and Joab called Amasa his brother. And then Joab reached his one hand to take Amasa's beard to pull his cheek, to pull Amasa's cheek into him so Joab could give him this kiss on his cheek. And all that Amasa saw was love. All that Amasa saw was care from Joab. As Joab, Joab asked him, are you, are you in health? And he calls him his brother, and now he's pulling his face in to kiss him. But during that kiss, Amasa feels a sharp pain in his ribs as Joab plunges a sword into Amasa, rips out his intestines, and Amasa falls to the ground, dying. And Amasa is looking up to Joab in disbelief with a look of, really? Really, Joab? How was your health? Really? Brother, you called me, Joab? A kiss, Joab? And with that one hand, when he drew him in to kiss him, and the other hand, he rips him up. He says, the other hand, you ripped me up, Joab? Really, Joab? That was Joab's kiss of death to Amasa that, by the way, David said to his son Solomon on his deathbed, don't let him get away with this. Don't let him go down to the grave in peace, Joab, and consequently, Solomon had Joab killed. But that was Joab's kiss of death to Amasa, and that was Judas's kiss of death to Jesus Christ. And just like Joab came to Amasa with that kiss of death, Judas kisses Jesus Christ with this kiss of death. And Jesus responds to Judas, almost a repeat of history, with the title and with a question in verse 50. In verse 50, Jesus said unto him, 
friend, wherefore art thou come? At this time, these verses in verse 49 and 50 are so interpersonal between just Judas and just Jesus. In verse 49, Judas, he came to Jesus. In verse 50, Jesus said unto him. From that, for that little moment, it was so personal between just Judas and, and Jesus that it was like there was no one else there. It was like there was just Judas and Jesus, no one there. For that moment in time, it was like there were no other disciples there. There was just Judas and Jesus, no one else. For that moment in time, it was like there was no crowd there. There was no one else there. It was just Judas and Jesus, no one else. That's what happens around Jesus. That's what happens. Those interpersonal, private times when all the world of others just vanishes away and it's just Jesus and that one person. Because it happens to us. It's just those times when it's just Jesus and you, Jesus and me. And in that very private time between Judas and Jesus, Jesus looks at Judas and calls him friend. He says, friend. Now, that's really for us over the top. Friend? We're shocked. Friend? Really? Friend? Really? Jesus called Judas friend? Judas is committing against Jesus the utmost betrayal. Judas is leading those that were gonna have Jesus tortured and killed, and, and Jesus calls Judas friend? I mean, Jesus called, what would we expect Jesus to call Judas? How about traitor? How about child of hell? How about conspirator? How about turncoat? How about murderer? But, and he wouldn't have mislabeled Judas if he had said all these things, but friend? Why did Jesus call Judas friend? Of all the names that Jesus could have, have chosen, he calls him friend. And he calls him friend because it reveals something about the heart of Jesus. It shows us something about Jesus. Jesus called Judas friend because Judas had been in the past a friend to Jesus. Jesus calls Judas friend because Judas seemed to be at that moment a friend, kissing him. And Jesus Christ calls Judas friend because Jesus Christ wants Judas to be his friend. And this shows something about the heart of Jesus that he wanted Judas to come to a place of repentance. Turn, Judas, be saved from your sins. Point out somebody else as, as Jesus so that they'll get the wrong man. Because in the mind of Jesus, Judas was still counted as one of the any in 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that includes Judas as well. Jesus Christ calling Judas friend means that in Jesus' mind, Judas is part of the all men that God is talking about in 1 Timothy 2, 4. 1 Timothy 2, 4, where it says that God who will have all, all men to be saved 
and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus did not hate Judas for what he did. Jesus had compassion on Judas. Jesus felt sorry for Judas, just like Abraham had compassion and he felt sorry for that person who woke up in hell, lifted up his eyes, he was in hell, and Abraham didn't push him away, but Abraham called that man son in Luke 16, 23, Luke 16, 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son. He called Abraham Father, and Abraham responded with the word, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good thing, likewise Lazarus' evil things, and now he's comforted and you're tormented. Christ addressed people with significant titles, and those titles that Christ chose, he was aiming for those people to change. That's what repentance is, change. So to Judas, Christ wanted Judas to see that Christ was holding out his hand of forgiveness and compassion, and Christ wanted Judas to change, to repent at that moment, right up to the last minute. Judas should abandon his plan of betraying Christ, and that's why Christ calls Judas friend, friend. On the other hand, when Peter is opposing Christ and he's standing in the way of Christ, going to the cross, and Peter is saying things to Christ like, save yourself or uh, spare yourself. And Christ saw that Peter needed to change. He needed to abandon his opposition to Christ, dying for his sin. So at that moment, when Peter was doing that, Christ did not say to Peter, he didn't give him the title friend, he gave him the title Satan. In Matthew 16, 23, Matthew 16, 23, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And then further, Christ appealed to the conscience of, of, of Judas with a question. A question in verse 50. Friend, wherefore art thou come? Here, as a friend, Christ is asking why he's come. And with that question, Christ was saying to Judas, Judas, why have you really come here now? Why are you coming this way? Please explain yourself. Explain yourself to me and explain yourself to yourself. If you've come as an enemy, then What's this about the kiss? What's the meaning of the kiss? But if you've come as a friend, what, is the, what does this mean with this crowd of these people at these swords and these clubs? He, now, Christ knew exactly why Peter, why Judas had come. But by asking the question, Christ wanted Judas to ask himself that question. Christ wanted Judas to see 
the sinfulness of why he had come, and this is what God does. God asks a question with the intention that a person will adopt that question himself and ask himself the question and see the issue, see the problem. This is what God did in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, after man had sinned, after man had run away from God, was hiding himself from God, God came to man with a question. In Genesis 3-7, Genesis 3-7, the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Now, God is not stupid. He knew exactly where Adam was. But God asked Adam the question in Genesis 3, 9, where art thou? Not so that God could find where Adam was because he didn't know, but so that Adam would ask himself the question, yeah, where am I? Where really am I? God is trying to spark a question inside of Adam. So Adam would say to himself, where am I? Adam would say to himself, today I'm running away from God, but yesterday I was running to God. What happened? Where am I? Today, where am I? Yesterday I was guiltless, I was shameless, I was in a state of innocence, but today I'm full of guilt and shame and I'm sinful. Where am I? What happened? God does that because the only way for a sinful man to be helped by God is for man to confess his sin, to turn away from his sin, try to undo his sin, and promise to not sin. That's the only way. And all of that will never happen in a person unless the person sees where he is in a miserable, in a state of sin. And so God asked Adam the question, where are you? In Genesis 3, 9. And this is the question that Christ is asking Judas in verse 50. Verse 50, why have you come? Because Christ is ever the Savior, asking, trying to deliver man from his sins. That's why he is Jesus. He's named Jesus because he shall deliver from sins. Now, this very personal, this very private time between Judas and Jesus was over in a moment. It was gone. And now the arrest proceeds forward in verse 50. Verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. It just seems so strange to us to read these words. First, it's strange that all the people there arresting Jesus, they had no fear. They had no fear at all. You know, Saul, King Saul, was a bitter enemy of David. He's all, he was always trying to kill David. But when David 
thought about trying to stop Saul from killing him, David used a particular phrase over and over again to express what it would mean for Saul to be harmed. And that's a phrase that David actually said to Abishai. Abishai in 1 Samuel 26, 9. 1 Samuel 26, 9, when David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And then when a person came to David and figured that he had great news for David because he, David, he figures, oh, David's gonna be relieved and David's gonna be glad to learn that Saul has been killed and that this person was gonna, thought he'd get a reward because he was gonna come to David. He came to David and said, I killed him. I killed Saul. But David said to him, in 2 Samuel 1.14, 2 Samuel 1.14, David said unto him, how wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? That's the question that we wonder when we read in verse 50, verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. We wonder the question and of 2 Samuel 1.14, 2 Samuel 1.14, we wonder, how come? He says, how come you are not afraid to stretch forth your hand against the Lord's Christ? But looking at the time when those, people, when those men there did raise their hand to, to grab Jesus, the, the Lord's Christ, they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid because they so often had tried to do that in the past and then he evaded them, he escaped out of their hands. So now finally, when they got him, we can hear them in essence wanting to yell out, we got him, we got him. And when we read in verse 50, how they laid their hands on Jesus and took him, we think of how God said about his people, the Jewish people, when they were in the Sinai desert, having come out of Egypt, and it says in Psalm 105, 14, Psalm 105, 14, he suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sakes, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So God said about the Jewish people, about Israel in Psalm 105, 15, touch not mine anointed, don't touch them. That meant that God spared Israel from harm, but here in verse 50, we see that Christ, God's anointed, God's Messiah, is being grabbed, he's being taken away, and we see that he spared Israel, but he didn't spare his own son. Romans 8.31, Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? also freely give us all things. The proof that God is for us is in verse 50. Is in verse 50, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. That was Jesus Christ who were there, they were taking. That was the same Jesus Christ who is spoken about in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts 
to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That was the same Jesus Christ they were taking whose face displayed the glory of God. The enemies of God had the glory of God in their hands, and that was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 78:61. Psalm 78:61 that God delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.